have Fernando Nicknish on the pod. And he's a composer, a songwriter, and a producer from Brazil. He's got a master's from Berkeley, and he's comfortable in both uh, concert, film music, and metal. So welcome. And my first question for you is, are you from a musical family? And what was the role of music in the early years of your life? Right. Thanks for having me. Of course. It's a pleasure to be here. I do come in a way from a family, uh, not of not of professional musicians, but of amateur sure. musicians. I always had uh, music uh, in some way in my childhood around me, but definitely very far from a professional, you know, thing. I think it's just the love of music that I got from my family. Yeah. And that's basically it. So do your parents play any instruments or like any family members who play or sing? Um, like what, what inspired the initial love? Yeah, well, uh, my mother used to play a little bit of acoustic guitar, very basically, not anything sophisticated, but she used to, to play. Uh, I have an uncle as well who loved to play the guitar and, and sing. Uh, usually they, they used to sing like folk Brazilian songs. Uh, people like to sing as well. Uh, my my grandmother uh, liked to sing from from both both sides of the family. When you get together with your family, we could sing songs and things like that. I had piano lessons when I was eight. I okay. think I started so music theory lessons as well. I I got my first steps at, at that point. And it was really uh, something interesting uh, interesting because I, I really felt some kind of passion at that time. But as a kid, you really don't know really well how, how deep you will go into that hole, you know, but of course it was an important experience. And I think the, the, the really, the, the real moment when it kind of knocked, uh, it changed for me was in my teens when I decided to form a band. So with, you know, school friends and all this, that story. Mm -hmm. Sweet. What kind of band? Yeah. At that time I was uh, becoming interested in, in bands like Nirvana, Green Day, uh, stuff like that. And later on, I went more into metal. Like we were at the time, big fans of Iron Maiden, uh, Black Sabbath, Metallica, all this uh, classic stuff. Nice. So our band was more, we used to play uh, like this classic metal songs. And I started composing at this moment because I was the only member of the band who had some kind of musical background, you know? Right. Yeah. So for me, it was interesting because I, I, I think the idea of writing songs kind of got me more than playing itself. So when I when I reached the point of having to choose a career, I I had the feeling, well, I I don't know what what else can I do besides music, so I want to choose a, something related to music, you know. Mm -hmm. So, how did you get to Berkeley? Well, that's um, yeah, that was crazy. <laughs> I was like, when I finished my undergrad, I was like completely. Um, tired of the academic environment and people were asking like are, are you not going a master's degree because i was i was very uh, while i was there i kind of put a lot of energy in the thing but all the my undergrad years i was a very applied student let's say but 
I didn't want to go in a in an academic path, so I, I really refused uh, whenever people asked me if I was going to like do a master's degree. I, I really answered that absolutely no. So, sure. you know, but I remember one day I, I thought like something came in my mind. I thought like if one day I'm going to, to do a master's degree or something, it's going to be uh, in the field of film music in a way. I had this thought, you know. Mm -hmm. So years later, like three or four years later, I was here uh, at home and I received, uh, I think it was a mail from Berkeley, like saying, well, we have this uh, session, this online session with the program director, if you want to have some information, etc. So I decided to attend. And something really spoke to me, like you know, you should you should do this, you should try to apply, and so I, I really couldn't take th this voice out of my head. Like I, I I I spent like a month saying, "Who do you think you are? You are not, you know, you are not good enough to be in this course. You are not blah 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 blah." blah. You know, lots of Just talking yourself out of it. Exactly. So at some point I decided, you know what, uh, I'm going to send my documents and let them decide if I'm not good enough and whatever. Mm -hmm. So it was just, I mean, the pieces started to fit and I really didn't think I was going to be accepted, but I was. So, and it was a, an amazing year to be there. That's awesome. I wanted to talk to you about your recording session at Abbey Road Studios. I saw the Luke's Eterna video. What was it like conducting uh, there with all those musicians? Just, uh, I mean, yeah, it's a fantastic experience. <laughs> yeah, uh, to I've see never the been least. there. Yeah, <laughs> you know. So the the first uh, the the first thing that I felt was like, what am I doing here? You know, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not. Uh, I'm not. I, I don't consider myself a conductor. Uh, it was really my first experience conducting an orchestra, uh, my last to date. So you just let them do their work. You know, if you are a good, uh, if you are a good uh, conductor, okay, you have control of the things. But I was really experimenting, trying to you know to feel. Uh, the response of the orchestra to the music. And I think the greatest feeling while being there with the orchestra was listening to music because we usually write stuff in mock-ups, right? Mm -hmm. And we kind of, uh, sampling is really different from writing for real instruments because you can add as much, uh, as many layers as you want, but there you have just, let's say, four cellos and you have to write for four cellos and make it sound good. So mm -hmm. it was really interesting to, to listen to the music and, of course, with the best musicians probably in the world. Uh, so amazing, amazing experience. Uh, you really want to go back after you do, you know, once. Yeah. Can you tell us about that gig? What was the process there? This was part of the Berkeley. Um, it was our our final work for the masters. Uh, Got it. You know, of course. So they arranged that for us for all the students. So we have slots uh, of eighteen minutes, if I'm not mistaken, per student. 
So it was more in the sense of giving us the the idea of how it was to to like to be part of that process. And the cool thing is that we we've taken care of all the steps of the process, from uh, composing the music, orchestrating, uh, creating the the sheet, you know, the, the yeah, mm-hmm. copyist stuff. Exactly. So uh, then coming into the studio with all the the copies that you need and all this stuff. So we take we took care of all the steps. Um, after the the recording, we mixed the 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 music we mastered and so on with the help of Pablo Schuler uh, at the time, the mixing engineer at Berkeley. I okay. think he was he was there uh, as well, but. Yeah, I think I don't know if this answer your questions. It did. Yes. Yeah, that's that's a that's a great final project to kind of set you up with a real life situation and uh, see how you handle it. Exactly. Yeah. So, how do you start a beta composition? You've been a beta composer for Sound Iron for four years now, and do you have a process when you first get sent a library? Like, what is what is your initial start? Oh yeah. Uh, well. I, I always approach composing for uh, like a demo, uh, keeping in mind that I am showcasing some instruments. So because of that, I, I after some uh, some times doing this, I decided to start really checking the instrument, like checking for uh, looking for bugs and stuff like that. Because I, I the first step, I need to understand what sounds. Uh, I will have at my disposal, you know? So I just experiment with the instrument. I go taking notes if I find some bugs and stuff like that. And while doing this, if I came to, if I, if I touch some interesting idea or something, I usually record it already. It happened that I, I, it happened to me to 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 have a demo from one of these sketches, but usually I end up with several ideas, you know, in this first step of exploration. I usually don't use most of them, but uh, yeah, I, this is how I like to, to start. Then I start really uh, improvising I my composition style, if I may say, uh, is very much... Uh, I think I use some kind of improvisation in a way because I, I'm not the kind of person who sits down with the paper and mm-hmm. pen and like think about, you know, what I'm going to write. So I like to really go uh, with, I don't know, my imagination or something. Yeah. It's like a more responsive approach where it's kind of like you're reacting off of what you're hearing and just kind of like having this sort of like internal conversation a little bit. Exactly, exactly. And I like to go with my ear, you know, not as much my mind, of course. Uh, yeah, of course, if you if you understand orchestration, if you understand music theory, whatever, harmony, you tend to avoid some things, you tend to, you know, but it's never a rule. Uh, as we said before, uh, since you are uh, working with samples, if you want to, I mean, to just put a lot of, I don't know, contrabasses doing crazy stuff in the low register, whatever, <laughs> you know, you, you can do it because there's no limit. 
But I really like to go, yeah, with this exploration and I start building the track, like adding stuff. I, I really tend to overwrite. I think I, I tend to add a, a lot of stuff in, in the music. So um, it sometimes becomes a um, challenge from the mixing point, mm-hmm. you know. Sure. From, yeah, you definitely got to factor in like all that stuff, you know, like where you don't want elements like getting hidden or buried and that sort of thing. One of my favorite yeah. demos of yours was the uh, Elvish Choir Deck the Halls demo. And it's just had these elves going back and forth and uh, tuba and all sorts of instruments. And it was just very funny, but also very professional sounding. And so like we were we were cracking up listening to that when <laughs> we did the Elvish Choir update. Amazing. Yeah, you nailed it on that one. Yeah. And then more recently, you did the Voices of Wind collection. And um, I wanted to hear a little bit about that process. I heard some drums and some pads, but also these really nice ethereal solo vocals on top of it. So what was your process on that one? Wow, that's a good question. Uh, I think I, I, I really remember from the past betas that we've done, uh, one thing that is stuck with me was the demo that I wrote for uh, Voice of Wind, Addy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, I remember that one was one of the demos that I just experimented with some piano chords over a phrase that I found in the library. So, yeah. okay, let's, let me try to, to like harmonize in a weird way, this phrase. And I remember it was like Friday night and I came back on Monday. So let's, let me listen to what I did on Friday because I, I will probably uh, start from scratch again. Probably that was, uh, you know, <laughs> rubbish. And well, I, I really enjoyed actually what I had done. So I kept it. That's a good feeling. Yeah, that's actually yeah. one of my favorite demos. Like some of the piano stuff where there's like these like little like descending piano lines uh-huh. and just like has a very like dark and kind of like moody sound to it. cool sort of like like do you listen to any like steven wilson or anything oh of course <laughs> yeah like like i, I feel like yeah. i can kind of hear a little bit of that in there like i love that sort of words it sounds very like it's not like like sad it's just very like it has strong emotions yeah mm-hmm. just sounds really yeah that sounds really cool yeah it's beautiful and painful at the same time yeah. maybe i don't know yeah in a way but that library, I really, uh, I mean, all the Voice of Wind library uh, libraries, I, I really enjoyed doing them. Uh, but when I came back to, to write the, the demo for the collection, I had already this background of having worked with all the libraries uh, besides the two new voices that we had. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of decided since it was a collection, I thought I could go back and get some of the stuff I had done already and just build something from that. Nice. And 
Yeah, I really don't remember if I had any specific uh, like method or something. I, I just wanted to go back to the stuff that I had and use that and do, do something with that. Do you have a mastering chain that you use every time? Can you tell us about any effects plugins or any like go-to templates you have? Regarding mastering, I've been using Isotope Ozone, basically. Uh, I like to, uh, I've been thinking for a while and experimenting with other plugins instead of just, you know, but Ozone is doing the the job for me. Mm. Uh, I don't consider myself, you know, a professional master engineer. So uh, in the sense that I need a lot of stuff uh, from, I'm more a composer and sometimes a mixing engineer depending on the project so uh, if i had to, if i have to master something i go to to ozone and i'm i i, I don't know I, I like to think that i'm getting good results out of it yeah so yeah broken what is it if uh <laughs> think if it ain't broke don't fix it broken yeah don't fix it i've been <laughs> exactly. using ozone i've been using ozone since ozone 4 so i oh, love wow. ozone too uh, it's just uh it's it's fun to throw it on there yeah. and see what it does yeah, especially because they have like the thing where you can just like feed in your track and it'll kind of like, hey, you should probably mm-hmm. do these things. And it's great, especially if you're just, you know, like, I just want the track to sound good. I'm not trying to like sit here for five hours and like mix every Tweak. little element. I mean, it's like, you know, of course, being a composer, you you sort of have to almost compose a little bit with that kind of mixing in mind especially if you know like okay like i'm going to be doing these things later on like i don't want you know frequencies or things to step on each other that sort of thing but yeah um, so i guess it it helps in in that sense you know when you're building the track from scratch but yeah it's it's like if that's not your profession you just want it to sound good it's like hey if it works roll with it exactly yeah and uh, the 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 assistant part is really interesting in ozone because uh, i remember when i was first mastering some track i i mastered some tracks before i got ozone and it's funny because i i don't remember how i calculated how much compression i would use in the limiter i did something very intuitively mm-hmm. but when i got ozone it was interesting because i mean nowadays every everyone uh is we have these loves things you know it's pretty easy to to if i if i need a track to be minus 14 loves okay you just set the threshold there and it right. kind of searches for you but it was not like this and the assistant in ozone is very interesting because uh as craig said it kind of shows you a way i never really go with the result that i get from the assistant but it's interesting to check what it does because mm-hmm. sometimes uh, let's say if your ear is uh, kind of tired of the, the material you're working on you uh, you may not be listening to what's really there maybe you have let's say some uh, excess of mids excess of low end or whatever uh, usually the assistant kind of shows you this track you know you have you need to have a cut here you need to boost mm. your highs and so on so it helps uh, i mean in many ways to kind of show you uh the first steps but i really like to tweak it uh i i think always i use the mid-side setting to to just i think it's interesting how you can balance your ambience just by using maybe if you want uh, a track to sound more ambient 
uh, you, you could just make your side of the master a little bit uh, higher. Mm -hmm. I, I find it uh, an inter interesting tool, you know? Yeah, mid-side is a really interesting thing. I remember when I first learned about it. It's like one of those things like when you're you're hearing terms like parallel compression and, and like exactly. stuff like that. Yeah. Mid-side is one of those things too where it's like, ooh, like what's that? Is that some kind of like <laughs> mi mixing mysticism I haven't quite discovered <laughs> yet? Right. But yeah, Magic. it's really cool uh, because like, you know, you can go in just to the into the sides and just like, you know, carve out low end and have it focus more in the center or like add a little bit of top end just so it kind of helps kind of widen out the mix and stuff like that it's a really cool trick when used appropriately it's like one of those things like using wideners it's one of those things that some people are like eh, i don't exactly. know exactly but exactly if, if done tastefully you can get some some pretty interesting results especially using you know a widener slightly and mid-side stuff you can really help create a lot of width really cool yeah. trick do you have a reverb that you use a lot recently uh seventh heaven yeah. Mm, nice. um, yeah. Basically, I got it. I think a year or two ago. So it's it, it's been my go-to reverb right now. Yeah, it's great. You got any favorite halls that you like to use on there, or, or different particular rooms, or? Not really. Uh, I really. It really depends on the the stuff that I mix in, basically, mm -hmm. because uh, I don't know. I tend to think it works better with orchestral stuff or like more film music oriented, mm -hmm. film oriented music. Uh, but depending on what I'm, I'm working on, I really experiment with the options that I have. I really don't have a, a specific, you know, setting, let's say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I always, tend, I always tend to use the large hall. I think I saw Dirk using that one time because he was saying like oh you know because you know there's a lot of like a i don't i don't know if it's necessarily the reverb is supposed to model a bricastia or if there's certain presets on there but yeah i remember seeing he's like oh yeah use the large hall yeah you can get some really nice results from that plugin that's a, a really cool one have you, have you used cinematic rooms uh nope yeah that's a, that's another cool one from liquid sonics fernando what's a personal project you're excited about are you working on anything personal just uh passion projects I should be, but uh, not really at the moment. Uh, I, I I have a bunch of songs from uh, my time when I was playing in, in bands, you know. Yeah. Uh, every now and then I think about getting those songs again and doing something with them. Uh, I've been, uh, one of the things that happened to me uh, as the years went by, I started recording musicians here, uh, local musicians, and mixing their stuff and working. I mean, nice. yeah, more uh, as a mixing engineer and music producer. It, this was not in the plans, let's say. Sure. But it was a cool experience when it started. And, well, I, I started working with uh, other people's music, and this kind of made me think, well, if I'm doing this for these guys, why shouldn't I do for my own compositions, my own songs? So yeah, maybe at some point I might go back and you know do something with them, but I'm not uh, doing that right now. Production, when you're producing for other people's music, there is a lot of composition that goes into it. I know that I've done music with other people and they write the songs, but then you bring the keyboard part or you bring that synth part and or like a drum idea. And so there's a lot of collaboration, but also you're, you are composing. It's just not composing your own music. 
That's so true. Yeah. Even in the terms of giving ideas to to the the recording itself, uh, well, let's say you have this phrase on the vocals. Why don't you sing like let's make two takes and you put them on stereo? So as a producer, you are giving ideas on how the track will sound in the end. Yeah, and this is in a way this is composition as well. Absolutely. So what is a typical day in the life of Fernando right now? What is, what's a day look like or a, a regular week look like for you right now? Mm, it really changes a lot because uh, I'm luckily I'm taking lots of projects from the middle of last year uh, to now I'm getting different projects and okay. I, I, I usually spend like a month uh, like working on a project and I mean, it depends on the project, but it's really about, I'm not doing anything. Basically, I'm, I'm working uh, a lot nowadays. I'm, I'm planning to like change this a little bit, but I'm working uh, a lot. And as soon as I finish a project, I go to the next. And yeah, sometimes since I'm doing different things, sometimes I'm here in my station, like composing and creating something and sometimes uh -huh. i'm at the studio recording um, so it depends really on the project that i'm working on sure one thing that becomes uh difficult at some point is uh, to to kind of have a good control maybe of your agenda like mm -hmm. last week i got a new project and you know cool but they needed the job done like for this friday this next friday so i <laughs> yeah. was already busy you know and you oh wow yeah how do you deal with that should i not take the project should i uh, you know so uh, i've been in a way in the middle of this uh, busy schedule and that's it sometimes i spend uh the weekends with my girlfriend and that's basically the i think she's she's responsible for having some idle moments in my life because I was like, yeah, very, very busy. Do you like working at night or in the mornings better? Do you have a preference on that? I am definitely a night person. If okay. you, if I wait for, to feel, uh, asleep, do you say to, to mm -hmm. feel sleepy? I don't know. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I, I mean, for me, it happens like at four in the morning, five, maybe. So oh, wow. I really, yeah, I, I really have to, I mean, to, to be a little bit disciplined not to, because at the same time, uh, sleeping too late and waking up late in the morning, uh, I feel you don't rest the same way, Yeah, you know? So yeah, in, in the past, like three, four, five months, I've been trying to, you know, sleep a little bit early and wake up early as well, do something in the morning, but I'm definitely a night person. How much sleep do you tend to usually get? Depending as well on the, on the day. But if I sleep, I mean, normally probably between six to eight hours, depending on the day. Yeah, that's good. Got to get that sleep. Um, yeah, Quincy Jones talks about how he loves working after midnight. And that's when his phone doesn't ring and he doesn't get any emails and he can just focus on being creative and doing the music. So that's similar to what you're saying is like when everyone else goes to bed, that's when I like to work. Yeah. Exactly. It's funny. It's funny because like you, you hear that same thing, but reverse with people who like to wake up early. Like I like to wake up at four o'clock because, you know, while I'm working, everyone's asleep you know, and, like, <laughs> and that sort of thing. So, like, but for some people you wake up super early and you're, 
maybe your creativity is not really kicking at that time. Maybe it's like you got to be up and moving for a good chunk of the day before sort of the ideas start hitting you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. When you roll out of bed, it's hard to be creative sometimes. Yeah. You're just trying to walk around and (laughs) get that coffee. Yeah, you're not trying to run into the wall or fall down the stairs or something. You're just like, <laughs> yeah. you gotta like. Yeah, but but, but you know, uh, when you start doing music professionally, I think uh, it doesn't matter anymore uh, about, oh, uh, now I feel creative. You have a deadline. You have to deliver something, you know, so sit yeah. down and do some work. Deadlines will reinforce creativity real quick. That is for sure. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. When you feel overwhelmed or unfocused, what do you do? Do you have any tricks or hacks on that? Usually, um, I think I just go do something else because um, usually, well, one thing that I learned over time is that you should not judge your ideas uh, like in the moment that you are having them, just let them flow. You know, mm-hmm. as I said, when I start composing for a, for a demo, for instance, I, I have sometimes lots of ideas and probably I'm going to use one or two of them only. But if you are too much concerned of uh, like deciding if an idea is good or not right after it's born, Maybe you are not allowing the baby to grow up to see what it is, you know. So um, I don't know. I I don't really have this feeling of getting stuck that much anymore. I used to have a lot uh, of this feeling, but I'm I'm getting this approach of just experimenting. Uh, sometimes I write, uh, I, I go with an idea to a point and then I decide to start all over and I start all over with a different idea. That's fine. You just, yeah. you know, uh, so yeah, but if I'm really stuck, I just give it uh, a little time and then I come back maybe the next day or something. And I go mm-hmm. do something else, you know. Yeah, you talked about resting your ears. That's definitely helpful for me as well. I think you made a great point about not letting the critic part of your brain kick in too quickly because when Mm -hmm. you're first sketching out just a loose improvisational ideas, you don't want to be like kicking yourself the whole time. You want to let that take a step back and come back later. And you have kind of the worker bee part of your brain that's just producing ideas. And then you have the the boss side of it that is like making the decisions on is this a good, is this bad? And quality control is important, but you you don't yeah. want to kick that in too soon. Yeah, yeah. you don't want to you don't want to have the guy in the back with the machine gun just ready to shoot down every idea <laughs> that comes your way. You're like, oh, what about this? Oh, what about this? You know, it's right. like, do you listen to Opeth at all? Are you? Uh, or do you know who like, Michael Ackerfeld is? Well, uh, Michael Ackerfeld he he does a lot of the main music for Opeth, and he said he just likes to just write ideas. He's like, most of them are shit. But he's yeah. like, you have to like go through that to get to the gold kind of thing. And I think it's like, it's made me think of that, like with what you were saying, how it's like, you just got to get yeah. the ideas out there because as you're just going through those motions, you're like, there's a lot of things that are kicking on, you know, in the background that you might not be aware of. And then, oh, then you come across something and then, yeah, you, that could completely erase everything you just worked on. But that's what you're kind of getting to, like that idea that really like sparks your like excitement. All right, cool. That's it. That's what I've been searching for this whole time. And and, and that's that's a great point. You just, yeah, you just got to keep moving. You know, it's like it's like wanting to do this like big, huge album, but you, you got to put shit in motion, you know, or else it, yeah. it's just nothing. Nothing is going to happen. 
So what do you like to do in your free time? Do you have any hobbies or interests outside of music? Uh, I like uh, reading. I, I, I mean, I'm not doing a lot of this stuff recently, really, but I like reading. I, as a kid, I enjoyed playing video games, which is something I don't do anymore that sure. much, but I really have this memory like of video games as something cool to, to do. So mm-hmm. yeah. uh, sometimes I just open a game and play for a little bit, but you really don't spend that much time nowadays, you know, adults life and, and you have lots of things to do. So you cannot just spend a whole weekend doing something. And of mm-hmm. course, watching movies, series, uh, I think these are my main hobbies nowadays. Uh, yeah. Totally. What's Brazil like? I've never been to Brazil. Uh, do you have family nearby or like um, you do anything outdoors? Yeah, well, this is the main reason why I'm here, actually. Uh, when I finished Berkeley, uh, I didn't want to come back to Brazil, mainly because uh, professionally speaking, things here, uh, I think things are, are more complicated in some ways. So I, I really wanted to stay in Europe, maybe go into the U.S. at the time, but I had my visa uh, expiring. So I, I decided, well, I won't stay here, you know, illegally. So I decided to, to come back to Brazil because my family is here. Okay. Um, yeah, basically, that's the reason. And how is Brazil? I think it's uh, probably the U.S. is kind of similar. We have many countries in one if you go to the to the northeast of Brazil, it's one reality. In the south, it's a different reality. And you have, of course, São Paulo, Rio de Janeiro. They are, I think, the, the hubs in terms of uh, artistic production and things yeah. like that in Brazil. I am in the south right now. We have a very um, recent immigration of European uh, immigrants. So that's why my name is uh, German, right? From my mother's side of the family, uh, we are Italians, uh, descendants of Italians. And from my father, we are uh, German. So it it has a, it resembles a little bit more uh, like the interior of some places in Europe. in the south of Brazil, maybe a little bit like Argentina, which is also more, in a way, an European immigration as well. But yeah, outdoors, um, it really depends on the part of the country where you are. I am in a city where you can kind of go outdoors without many concerns in terms of, you know, security and things like that. So yeah, it's cool. You, you should you should come at some point to visit. Yeah, uh, yeah, I would like to. Uh, I'm, I like Brazilian coffee a lot. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> do you do you get a, any influence from your Brazilian folk music that you were talking about growing up? Would you say that slips into the music that you write? I would say I don't. Okay. Not not because uh, I think you inevitably kind of absorb something uh, you know from your surroundings. So. For instance, I've never been much into samba and those mm-hmm. kinds of Brazilian traditional rhythms. Mm-hmm. But of course, because you are surrounded by it, I know how it sounds. I understand it. So I know I can kind of, I could write a track 
But I'm all my life, I think my interest in rock music and metal music uh, spoke much louder. So I, I tend to, I mean, my musical ideas, my musical mind always lean towards uh, that path. If, I, if I'm walking uh, on the streets and I have some melody playing, it's usually uh, a rock riff, a metal riff or something like that. Not mm -hmm. this uh, traditional folk. Yeah, exactly. So are you still making metal music? Are you do you also play guitar? Or are you just producing and mixing some metal music? I'm doing it in the sense of producing for other people nowadays. Um, I play the guitar not so efficiently anymore because it's been quite a while, you know, since I really took the instrument to. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I like to say I play many instruments, but I'm not a virtuoso in any of them. So <laughs> yeah, yeah I, that's that's yeah. composer life for sure. Exactly, yeah. exactly. I have a bass guitar here. I have an electric guitar, keyboards, acoustic guitar, and so on. So you play you yeah. play drums at all or? I used to play drums. I, I was the drummer and my teens, uh, when we had that metal band, I was the drummer. But nowadays, uh, nowadays I just uh, approach, I just sit at the drum to tune, not to, <laughs> not to play because, yeah, you kind of lost your, your coordination. I think if I wanted to go back and start to play again, I would, it would take maybe a month or so. Mm -hmm. I would go back. I, I think I, I could do it again, but yeah, not, I cannot just sit in the drums. I, I wouldn't be playing anything if I didn't have some time to, to rehearse or something, you know? Yeah. It's, it's great to, to learn all those different instruments. So like, like I remember when I was trying to learn drums just because my band broke up and I was like, all right, well, I got to learn how to play drums now so I can write my own music. But it's like, even though like for you, since you know, you, you were a drummer in a band and you don't do that no more. Like at least, you know, when it comes to, you know, producing or, or even like, you know, programming drums, I'm sure it's easy to have it up here. Like maybe it might be a little bit harder to physically, you know, make it happen, but it's like, I'm sure if you're like, Oh, I need to program this drum part. You know, you have all that of knowing what a drummer does. You understand so, the instrument. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, Absolutely. It's, it's, it's almost like, I'm sure that, you know, knowledge didn't go unused just because it's just because there's a lot of people that don't play drums and they try to program drums and mm -hmm. sometimes that it doesn't, doesn't work it yeah. doesn't quite work out yeah because they're you know, the octopus thing going on you're like i can't can't hit four <laughs> symbols and two toms at the same time and exactly. do this thing on a yeah so yeah it also exactly. depends it also depends on what you're optimizing for because if you're optimizing for composing or producing then you don't necessarily need to be playing four hours of drums a day. You just need yeah. to kind of understand what the instrument does and how it's supposed to sound. But like we were talking about Charlie Hunter, who's a guitar player, a really good guitar player, but he also says that he plays drums to a click for an hour a day whenever he's at home and not touring. And like that's a performer and he's optimizing for performing. He wants the best rhythm possible. And so he's focused on just being locked into the groove yeah, if he's all about groove. Yeah, but if you're, if you're composing, then it's it's not important like that. Exactly. Yeah, and when when we are musicians, I mean performers. I, I don't know. I, I was uh, I was listening to uh, two albums of a German band named uh, Blind Guardian. You probably oh, nice. yeah. So yeah. I was I was the other day paying attention to who produced their albums, and I realized that the two albums that I really enjoyed 
were produced by the same guy. So I was like, you know what? Maybe there's more in the band than, than just the band. You know, maybe this producer gave the band a particular sound in this album, and he may have brought in some ideas and so on. So yeah. Uh, I think the, the performers usually they probably get lots of ideas from uh, producers and other people as well. Of course, it's not a rule, uh, you know, but it's much more than at least I, I like to think. I don't know if this is true or not, but yeah. I think for yeah. those kind of bands, a producer would really come in handy because, like, with a lot of like very like high caliber musician type bands, like mm. there's probably a lot of people that are like you know, I want to do this thing here. I want to do this thing. You know, there's a lot of just like, everyone can probably just solo for the whole album if they wanted to, but you got to <laughs> exactly. have someone who's yeah. like, all right, let's not make every song 14 minutes long. Yeah. You know, these giant epic, you know, like symphony X kind of like uh -huh. Odyssey or something, that sort of thing. But, you know, just like compacting all that musicianship into something that's more like of a coherent song. So probably a producer has to, you know, come in and condense yeah. some parts, maybe not play that thing yeah. 12 times or, you know, this sort of thing. What advice would you give to someone starting out? They want to go to Berkeley. They want to do the music for Media Path. What would you say? Like, hey, you got to get your ducks in a row this way. Oh, that's a, diff uh, a difficult question, I think, uh, because uh, I think the paths in your life, the uh, in a way, you decide for a plan. You, you want to go after uh, some some planning, you start studying stuff and doing stuff, let's say film music, I may want to start understanding DOS samples and stuff like that. But also one thing that I learned is that sometimes you have a name, you have a goal and things happen around you. Maybe you have something, you may not be called to, to compose a new soundtrack for a movie, but a band may hire you to record uh, to record them, for instance. You know, mm -hmm. so uh, you're not going to work as a composer, but this is also an interesting experience. So I'd say uh, for I, I'd probably say to be open to the opportunities that are around you because this is such uh, it's a ridiculously big area you know we we don't have only to know about music we don't have to know uh, only about orchestration only about you have to be able to do everything basically you have to you know yeah. uh, film music game music as well it's not only about writing music it's about mixing it's about how uh, what reverb you choose what mm -hmm. uh, you know it, it's a wormhole of a profession you know exactly yeah. <laughs> and the thing is if you if you are good enough maybe you're lucky enough you may get good projects that allow you to hire uh, people to do those extra uh, roles that you will need but you have lots of projects uh, low budget projects that you will have to do everything so i think we have to be open to to understand and experiment with all this yeah being flexible yeah i like that. so for me yeah for me it was uh it happened like this i wanted to compose and uh, i i really came to a point where i realized that I, I was not going to get many projects that would allow me to hire other people here where i am right so i came to the realization that i should understand a little bit more of mixing my my own music so i I went to that side of the 
spectrum. I, I was really not an audio guy. I didn't understand. I, I, I understood audio theoretically, but not from the point of view of doing something with it. When I was listening to a recording, I was listening to the melodies, the harmonies, the rhythm, but I couldn't understand, uh, although I, I knew what a equalizer was, a compressor, I couldn't use them in a way that would produce, uh, you know, something interesting. And I had to learn this. So I, I started getting hired to mix amateur musicians and I went there, okay, let's do this. Yeah. Uh, for me, it was a great learning experience i mean to to be open to to do this kind of stuff although it was not exactly composing music as i wanted so you have to be open i think and study everything that you can yeah yeah like a sponge yeah yeah Yeah. that's a, a great piece of advice man like and that's something i've always been a believer in i think like using the concept of throwing out multiple fishing reels. It's always like to think about it, like you're going to catch a fish eventually, but it's like, you got to try different things. And and it keeps it fun too, because it's like, it's it's easy to start sort of like resenting what you want to do when Mm -hmm. it's not working. And it's very easy to just like quit. Like, you know what? This isn't working. I'm done. But I mean, sometimes it is better to pull the plug on certain things because maybe it might open up time for you to like try something else that an opportunity that you never knew would end up being your career. But maybe you didn't go into it planning to do that. Let's say like maybe you're a musician and then you start doing video or something or working for filming for a company or something like you never know how stuff can can work out. And that's that's a great philosophy. That's true. I wanted to ask, since you mentioned you're not really on social media, how did you start putting yourself out there and, and getting gigs and, and doing composing and, and staying you know, busy? Yeah. How do you yeah, how do you go about that? Yeah, it is really happening uh, locally, I think, uh, nowadays, because uh, when I when I came back from Berkeley, I had this idea that, wow, now I have this great uh, diploma and that's so cool. I have a um, an amazing experience recording this amazing orchestra and so on. So I thought at that time that I was going to to write to a bunch of people and some projects uh, were going to come to me and it didn't happen that way. I was not really, uh, I didn't have a name, you know, uh, I was not known really. So um, I, I quickly realized I, I was not going, this, this was the part of the story I was mentioning uh, earlier. I, I realized I, I was not going to get projects big enough to cover for all the costs that you ideally have in such projects. Mm-hmm. So uh, I started doing some uh, work for local musicians here. Most of them really amateur musicians. For me, it was like a, fr- a big frustration when I started because, uh, you know, oh, how, why should I be recording this guy, uh, you know, who doesn't even know if I suggest him to play C instead of B in the instrument, he doesn't know where B or C is. You know, I have to tell him, okay, third, uh, mm-hmm. so I, I was very frustrated in the beginning, but then I understood, you know what, this is the guy who is hiring me. So maybe I'm not that good as I think I am. I, I should just learn with the experience that I am, that I'm having here and do the best that I can. That's how it started. And, uh, people started looking for me, uh, after that, 
uh, for different projects. In the beginning, uh, I, I was really recording and mixing uh, musicians. And the good part of being amateur musicians is that I didn't have to, I mean, not that I didn't have to deliver good quality stuff, but I, I had a margin of error. If I did a really bad mix, okay, the guy was not really a professional, so. The stakes were low, right? Yeah. So for me, it was a great space to learn, you know, and I took advantage of it. And people started calling more and more and more. And this is where I am now. Uh, I, I'm having uh, a good amount of projects. Of course, you are always want to make progress and get uh, bigger projects, more professional projects and so on. But I'm really enjoying the place where I am and doing what I can. You know, uh, the ideal world is one thing and your reality is another. So sometimes we, we think that we we are just going to have a career if we are in Hollywood doing the next soundtrack for the next Star Wars and things like that. And there is just a, a limited number of people really doing that. But there are lots of other people doing uh, other types of work. So I try to, to take this philosophy for me to really do the best I can uh, where I am, you know, and eventually maybe things progress from there. Yeah. Any career in the arts is not linear. There's no perfect stair step mm -hmm. of like, okay, it's like, it's not like a lawyer where you're, you're, the career is laid out for you. And it's like, okay, if you just do these things for five years, you're going to be this here. And then you get this promotion and you get paid this much. Like the arts are very uh, loose. Like the stepping stones are far yeah. between each other and you don't really know how the path changes. So I think what you said earlier about being flexible is really important and just yeah. be will be willing to make a career in music doing lots of different things. Exactly. Um, what, what would you say is the best advice you have been given? Has anything come to mind? Mm. It's kind of a big question. Mm. That's yeah. That's a difficult one. I don't know. Uh, maybe, maybe um, to not, take criticize uh, as a in a way that like too personally we, yeah too personally and yeah maybe that that could be uh -huh. when i was a student i usually you know if someone uh, decided that especially a professor or someone who you think should be teaching you something if someone criticizes your work when you are talking about arts you have such a broad range of ideas and different um, approaches to everything that maybe this person is just showing you their perspective about what you are showing them. But maybe it's just that. It's not an objective thing, you know. So maybe this would be uh, the advice just to keep focused on what you really want to do because uh, we... Every one of us have uh, uh, has a different background, you know, and sometimes you want to just create a mix of whatever, mm -hmm. you know, whatever it's in your head. And those things are in your head and not in the other person's head. So if you ask 10 different mixers how to mix a track, you're going to get 10 different tracks, right? And same thing exactly, with exactly. composers. So you kind of have to carve your own path out and your own style out. And yeah. it just takes time. 
Yeah. yeah. Especially if, you know, who's the person? Like, are they a, are they a guitar player? Are they a drummer? Are they a singer? Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, man, you know, those guitars, you should have turned them up a couple dB. It's like, all right, well, I can see. That's probably why, because he's, you know, or a drummer is like, you know, just the drums could just be a little bit louder. Yeah, it's like everything's so subjective. It's just like it's easy to take things personal. I think, especially like in the early days, you know, like you show, yeah. you finally go to the studio, record your band, you show your friends. They're like, oh, you know, like you get a lot of people like doing that comparing thing, like oh, like that sounds like this band, or like oh, were you guys listening to this? And exactly. it's just like, so do you yeah. like the song or what? Like, yeah, you know, it's like mm-hmm. I didn't need, I didn't ask you what does it sound like. You always yeah. get people that always kind of you know say little things like that, but yeah, it's always gonna happen. All right, so I have a few more questions for you, and then we'll wrap this up. Uh, favorite YouTube channel or podcast or TV show at the moment, or something something you've been enjoying? Doesn't have to be your all time favorite, just something you've been watching recently. Not recently, but the the last thing that I think I watched and really stuck with me was Dark, the German German TV series. Oh, yeah, it was on Netflix. Yeah, yeah, I started watching I th- that. It's a little, it. it I think I saw like the first little bit. It's a little kind of a weird show, huh? Like it's pretty. It is. Pretty dark. It is. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's dark, yeah, but like, it's Ooh. it's amazing. I mean, uh, I think I don't know if this is because they are German, but it's so intense and philosophical content. I would say mm-hmm. uh, very interesting how they can uh, take those ideas which are not like just shallow ideas you know they are very deep ideas about time Um, so very interesting how they could put all those uh, dense things in a enjoyable show enjoyable for maybe not everyone but yeah yeah it's it's interesting how how do things proceed from the season one I like it. I'll have to check it out. Uh, last question is what accomplishments or goals do you see yourself achieving in the next few years or what's next for you? Probably uh, I will continue doing what I'm doing, but I really am trying to go back to uh, to compose more music and produce more of my own stuff uh, rather than working with other people's uh, music although I, I really enjoy doing this as well but I'm I'm just composing less nowadays than I wanted than I, I would like yeah so ramping that up yeah but I would uh, I would really enjoy as well like to live abroad at some point I don't know maybe uh, at some point in Europe some place in Europe some or um, even in the US Canada I don't know I would like to maybe move at some point right on man well fernando this was fun man um we really appreciate your beta compositions they're great and um we hope that you'll keep them coming and uh i hope to hear your original songs at some point you'll have to send them to us gotta hear some of that metal stuff you got working oh yeah absolutely <laughs> I'm all about it great to finally talk to you and see you in person because i know i've been talking to you for, yeah. for a long time through emails so yeah it's cool to chat dude appreciate exactly. it exactly i i say the same very very nice to be here with you and getting to know you as well personally awesome man we will catch you soon craig catch you next week all right Nathan. peace all right peace